Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue in our series in the book of Jude. So turn to the back of your Bible. Uh, It's right back there. It's a tiny little book. If you go to Revelation, you've gone too far. And uh, if if you're rummaging around somewhere in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's, it's close. It's right after 3rd John. It's a little book. It's 25 verses, but it has a powerful, big message for us all. See, Jude wrote this book around 60-something A.D., so we're looking at almost 2,000 years ago. Jude was actually one of Jesus' flesh and blood brothers, and he's writing to the church, and he's writing to a specific church with a very specific problem. And that problem was with the church in the first century, and that problem is with us today in the 21st century. Here's the problem. The problem is that certain people had gotten into the church, and they were denying the basic tenets or principles or or, or doctrines of the faith. They were denying even things about God himself. They were denying Christ's second coming. We're coming into the Advent season. They were denying half of the Advent series. Oh yeah, Jesus came, but Jesus is not going to come back. They felt free to edit historic biblical Christianity to fit man's sensibilities about human sexuality, about God himself, about who God is. They just felt free to edit it to fit in with the culture of first century Rome. And we are in the same place, aren't we? We're right smack dab in the middle of it right now. Smack dab middle of it? What is, am I in Georgia or something? What's that? If you're from Georgia, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm not from Georgia, so I shouldn't be saying that. But this, this, is, this is a problem we have today in the church. Editing Christianity to fit the sensibilities of the culture around us. And God, through Jude calls them to contend for the faith. We, we looked at that scripture last week, Jude 3, contend for the faith. We're going to start there this morning. So look at Jude 3. And he said, contend for this faith that was once and for all delivered to you. As a matter of fact, the title of our message this morning is contending for the faith. There it is. And I want to talk to you about this word contend for a moment before I read the text. It's an important word. Do you see it there in verse 3? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This Greek, the Greek word, the root of the Greek word that we translate contend is agonizomai. Do you hear it? Agonize. We get the English word agonize from that. And the idea here is of an athlete who is training, contending to win the medal at the Olympics. Just such an athlete as that is Maya Dorado. I don't know if you read about her or, or, or heard about her or if you watched her, watched her at the Rio Olympics. Maya Dorado. I, I believe she's a Christian. I've read up on her. Her parents met at Stanford in a Christian community. And, she, and I, I believe she is a Christian. So it was interesting as I read about her. Maya Dorado graduated from Stanford and, and really she was going to go on to be in the business world. And people talked her into, no, swim one more year and go ahead and try out for the Olympics. She wasn't great. She was okay. I mean, if you're swimming at Stanford, you're pretty good. But we're talking world-class athletes. She maybe wasn't quite there. 
As a matter of fact, the world-class athlete in her events was a Hungarian swimmer named Katinka Hotsu. Katinka Hotsu. Practice that 15 million times today. And Maya Dorado, amazingly, won four medals at the Olympics. The first medal she won was a silver medal in the 400-meter individual medley. And she was second place to Katinka Hotsu. The next medal she won was a bronze medal. Who won that 200-meter individual medley? Katinka Hotsu. And so Maya Dorado gets to her last race. It's the 200-meter it's the backstroke. And who's the favorite to win the 200-meter backstroke? Katinka Hotsu. And as Maya Dorado gets on her, the blocks, she turns to the left, and there is Katinka Hotsu. And so I don't know if you saw it, but she dives into the water. They're racing. Uh, Hotsu typically goes out fast and just kills everybody's uh, animal, you know, uh, their desire. And then she just takes it home and never tires. And she did that. After 150 meters, she was about 20 meters ahead of Maya Dorado. But somehow, someway, Maya Dorado started kicking in. And amazingly, I remember watching the race. I'm thinking, oh, you know, she'll get a silver medal. That's great. She starts catching up. She starts making up the distance. And suddenly, at the very end, Maya Dorado just lunged backward. Later, she says she lunged so hard and hit the wall so hard, she broke one of her nails, which is quite a tragedy, I realize. But she, she broke one of her nails, and, and Maya Dorado beat Katinka Hotsu in the 200-meter uh, backstroke by 0.9 tenths of a second. Now, that's not much. That's not much. And when they talked to her about it, they, they said, well, well, what made the difference? She goes, look, I worked really, really hard. I contended, agonizomai. There was a lot of agonizomai going on in Maya Dorado's life. Four o'clock in the morning swims out in Stanford, and the, the, the Bay Area, and it's cold out there. I've been there. The water is freezing cold. Uh, eating perfectly, never eating one potato chip. That would kill me. I love potato chips. No nacho chips with salsa. Uh, Very strict regimen. Going to bed at 9 o'clock every night. Waking up at 4 in the morning. Just training, training for the prize. And she got it. It was amazing. You saw her weeping when she was on the uh, podium there with the national anthem going. She, She got the prize. But she would tell you, and I'm definitely telling you, and God's telling you, there is a prize far greater than a gold medal at the Olympics. So that's a great prize. And here's the prize, the faith once and for all delivered to us. And God is saying to you and to me to contend, agonizomai, for that faith that was once and for all delivered to us. Now the question is, and we saw this last week, that call to be contenders, but the question this week is, well, how do I contend? Someone had to train Maya Dorado. Someone had to be with her, design her out, her regimen, design her meals, prepare her meals, get her in the pool. How do I contend for a gold medal in the 200-meter backstroke? How do I contend for the faith, Al? Well, Jude tells us. God, through Jude, tells us in our text this morning how to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to us. Let's read it together. Jude, I'm beginning with verse 3. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Skipping down to verse 17. He's going to tell us now how to do that. 
But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, verse 18, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In verses 17 through 19, God identifies the opponents of the faith the opponents of the faith who are preaching a false faith, and thus he's identifying what we're contending against as we contend for the faith. You see, in, in verse 3, he tells us that it's the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. You see that in verse 3? The opponents of the faith are those that are saying, you know what, I can edit the faith. That faith, though it was given to us, is sort of pliable. It's like putty. It's like clay. You know, it's like a clay sculpture. We saw a lot of sculptures when we went to Rome. But it hasn't set yet. So it has the form. But, you know, if I want to come up and make the eyes a little different or or change the ears or make the mouth a little different or, or, you know, elongate the nose or make it less long, I I can kind of edit the faith according to the sensibilities of my culture. And God is saying, no, the faith was once and for all delivered to you. The faith is not open to your editing or my editing. Cursed be anybody that adds to or takes away from this word of God. We are not free to edit the faith, but these folks in the first century felt free to edit the faith, and folks in the 21st century feel free to edit the faith. They feel free to edit the faith when it comes to what God says about human sexuality. They feel free to say, you know what? It's not determined by God and how I was born, but I get to determine my sexuality. They feel free to edit the faith about the definition of life and when it begins. I'll say when it begins and when it can end. Same thing that was happening then is happening today. And so God is saying, no, I want you to contend for this precious faith that was once and for all delivered to you. What was that faith? The faith was the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ascension. It's the gospel. It's God's word. It's what God has given to us. God said it. It's firm. It's set. It's never to be changed. Everything else will change. God doesn't change. And his word doesn't change. And this gospel doesn't change. And contend for it because it's worthy. Agonizomai. This is the one thing that is worthy to give my entire life to. Every day of my life. Every moment of my life. What I eat. What I do. What I, how I train. I'm given to this goal that's greater than that gold medal. It's the faith given to us by God. So in this text here, in verses 17, 18, and 19... God, through Jude, defines those who are opposing the faith. Look at it with me. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, 
the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, verse 18, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Who are these people? Well, first of all, Jesus said they they would come. The apostles said they would come. So let's not be surprised that they're here. Secondly, they're devoid of the Spirit. They're scoffers. They're worldly. They divide churches. They divide people. They've gotten into the church pretending, posing as Christians, but they're worldly people. They're dividing. They're speaking lies. They they scoff at biblical Christianity. Many scoff at this. This is the word of God. Maybe it contains some thoughts about God. They scoff at the miracles. They're stories. They scoff at who Jesus is. He's a good teacher. They scoff at who the Holy Spirit is. He's not really equal with God, the Father. They scoff at the Trinity. Last week, we went through all this. If you haven't heard that message, listen to it. A survey that was done in Theology in America in 2016. These are facts. These are people in the church. See, we have to have the opposing argument clearly in view. If I'm going to contend, I've got to have the argument clearly in view. I'm sure Maya Dorado had Katina Hotza clearly in view. There she is. That's her time. I've got to beat that time. Dorado actually improved her time by two seconds. The last year of her training was amazing. She was ready to quit. And they said, no, stay in there one more. So she, she had the, oppo- the opponent, the opposing view in. I know that is what I have to come against and contend for the right faith against these things. So do we. But more important than having the opposing view and the opponent in clear view, we have to have our God in clear view. We must remember who our God is. Listen, and we must remember that we are the beloved of God as we contend for the faith. Jude uses this word beloved three times in our verses. Look at verse 3. Beloved. Look at verse 17. But you must remember beloved. And look at verse 20. But you beloved. Beloved, the Greek word used here, translated beloved in English, has this sense of referring to those who belong to God, who are undergoing suffering, even the threat of death. This is how God referred to his son on the Mount of Transfiguration in Galilee, which I saw, as Jesus began the long walk southward to Jerusalem at the end of his life, where he would give his life and suffer and die on the cross for the salvation of his people. That's how God referred to his son. Matthew 17, 5 on the screen he was still, he being God, still speak, excuse me, he, Jesus being, was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, now this is God the Father speaking of God the Son. <clears throat> this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We are the beloved of God in Christ and God has us. Jesus suffered and then was glorified. We're called to suffer and then we will be glorified with him because we're in him. We are the beloved. God, through Jude, is speaking to believers in the first century who are facing suffering for their faith and they're facing the prospect of, I can avoid this suffering if I'll simply fudge a little bit on Christianity. You can have Jesus as Lord. Just say that Caesar is Lord too. They were tempted And there were people in the church that were kind of telling him, go ahead, do it. 
flow with the sexuality of Rome in first century, which was horrific. Horrific. It's said that Caesar had, was married to two men. One is his husband and one is his wife. Uh, if you read Romans 1, you will see a description that rivals anything we have today. So those believers were living in that culture and they knew they were about to suffer because they were going to stand with what God said in Genesis 1. Created Adam and Eve and brought them together. And they were tempted to just kind of slide over here. You know, it's like, it's like they had a drill when I used to play football. And I hope they're not doing this anymore. But this, you know, I was born like last century. And uh, where you would stand there and they would have a guy run as fast as he can and hit you right here. And you had to stand and take it. Ten-year-old kid. This is why I'm traumatized, okay? But, but they don't still do that, do they? Good. And, I mean, some guys would just fudge. Right before the guy hits you, you would just sort of start turning. You know what I'm saying? Like, just fudge. And boy, the co- oh, if you did that. You would just never leave there. You would just be hit by everybody. The whole team would just hit you. you know? So we're tempted to just kind of go like that. We see it coming. You know? And, and God's saying, no. Contend for this faith. And so when they heard the word beloved, it would roll upon them over and over. It would roll over them and it would comfort them. It would say, you are my beloved. Before we contend, we first have to know that we're beloved. We're beloved. It would comfort us. It comforted them and it comforts us. It points to the one who called us. He was the beloved, and he suffered for me. Now I'm the beloved. I will suffer in him, but there's glory coming. This word beloved points to the primary way that we contend. You ready? Got your pens out. You got your electronic devices ready. The keyboard's ready. How do I contend for the faith? You ready? Verse 21. Look at it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Circle that word keep. That's an important word throughout the book of Jude. Do a little study this afternoon. How many times is the word keep or kept listed in the, in, in the book of Jude? And who's keeping whom? But here, the way we contend for the love of God is to keep myself in the love of God. But you say, wait a second now. I thought you told us last week in verse 1 of Jude, that it is God, it is Christ who keeps us. Yes. So now this week you're saying, but we keep ourselves in the love of God. Yes. See, to, to be beloved means that God's love is on you and Christ keeps you. But to be beloved means that you keep yourself in the love of God. What is this? This is the tension that we often are uncomfortable with between the sovereignty of God. The only reason I'm in God is because he chose me and he gave me the ability to believe, repent and believe. And he keeps me no matter what. But then the responsibility of man. But as one who is kept by God, God calls me to keep myself in God's love. That's how we contend for the faith. That is how we contend for the faith. See, it's the God who calls us to contend for the faith that he gave us, the God who keeps us is the God who calls us to contend. I say it this way. I would summarize this text in the following way. We contend for the faith as we keep ourselves, as we stand in the love of God that keeps us. We contend for the faith 
as we stand in the love of God that keeps us. We contend for the faith as we stand in the love of God that keeps us. So if this text is about how do we contend for the faith, and if we contend for the faith as those beloved by God, and that means that we keep ourselves in the love of God, then really what this sermon is about is how do we keep ourselves in the love of God knowing that it is God who keeps us, and yet that divine sovereignty does not absolve us of the call to keep ourselves. How do we do that? Now we get to point one. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Obviously, it begins by acknowledging that it is God who keeps us. But it also, it also means acknowledging that we then are responsible to keep ourselves. And then in verses 20 and 21, Jude tells us how we keep ourselves in the love of God. This is how you contend for the faith. Subpoint one, building yourself up in the faith. Building yourself up in the faith. We keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. What's our most holy faith? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Christ himself. He is the foundation of our faith and the founder and perfecter of our faith. This morning as we taught in Bible 45 Go 301 class, one of the members of the class said the reason that we have a motivation to go and make disciples is because we see how beautiful, how awesome, how great God is. We burn with this flame of love for God, and that then sends us out and propels us out to make disciples. We don't do it simply because God said do it. We do it because we we see the beauty, the majesty, the greatness of God. He is worthy. And that's why. And this is the idea here. Building myself up in my most holy faith is is reminding myself. It's saying, oh God, you are great. Jesus, you saved me. You're the foundation of my faith. The Bible says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. We grow in our knowledge of the faith. We get together and talk about our faith. Thank you for being here this morning. We gather together to hear about our faith. And as we grow in this knowledge of the faith, our affections grow, and we burn brightly with this love for God. We we, we want to obey the faith. The very thing that the false teachers weren't doing. They were living licentious lives. In other words, they were living lives of sexual impurity and maybe of lying and maybe of of, of avarice. They loved money and they were saying, it's no problem. You can live this way. It doesn't matter. Jesus isn't coming back. Grace, grace, grace. But they were turning grace into license to live any way I wanted to live, marry whomever I wanted to marry. Same sex, opposite sex. (sighs) Didn't matter. And they were wrong. So building myself up in my most holy faith is loving God. Just gazing upon him and letting his grace, the fact that he chose me, capture me. How are you doing with that? Second, how do I keep myself in the love of God? Praying in the Holy Spirit. We keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it begins by praying this. I think it begins by praying. <laughs> there you go. Let's start it there. It begins by praying. Begins by praying this. But but it also it, it can mean praying real prayers to God. I was talking to Corey yesterday, and sometimes, especially for guys that have studied a lot the Bible or pastors that have been to seminary, or whatever, we can, our prayers can almost be like these theological, you know, treaties to God. Like it's like we're giving God a theological paper. Oh God, you who are in the heavens and created everything there is, as if he didn't know that. And and we can miss the real part of our prayers. It's not less than that. 
We can miss psalms like I read to be open this service. By the way, I encourage you to get here. Get here early. Get here at 1030. We prayed for a couple who just had a miscarriage. And we prayed from one of the psalms of lament, Psalm 89. Actually, 88, 89, and 90 are psalms of lament. And if you read those psalms, the psalmist is complaining, but he's complaining to God. And when we do that with God, we build a real relationship. If I always spoke to you in platitudes, what I thought you wanted to hear, if I spoke to you about, you know, the human genome project, you know, words, if that's you're a doctor of, you know, whatever, and you're, and, you know, or legalese, you know, you'd walk away going, what's wrong with Pino? Like, how you doing, man? Right? I mean, I can, but there's more. I can, be, I, can, I can be real with God when I'm hurting. I can say, God, where are you? And that builds my relationship with God. And if you go read those Psalms. They, they make me nervous. Like, whew, can I talk like that to God? Yes. Because he already knows you're thinking it, right? <laughs> you think you're hiding that from God? And he will help you. Those Psalms end with, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, you've abandoned me. How long? And it ends, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's good. It's good. Pray for the Olsons. You know, they're they're hurting. They're hurting. Let's go hurt with them at the foot of the cross and just pray with them. Cry with them. And God will comfort them because his son suffered the most. The beloved, the beloved, and we are beloved because we're in him, knows what that is. So pray in the Holy Spirit. And finally, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? We wait for the mercy of God. It says that there in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of discussion about that. I think what it means is we... We understand how necessary God's mercy is, particularly at Christ's second coming, because when it talks about their, um, that leads to eternal life, that's sort of like what's called an eschatological deal. It kind of, it kind of looks at the end. And what that's saying is, we live lives knowing one thing and one thing for sure. Without God's mercy, I'm in big trouble. And when Jesus comes back, I'm waiting for the mercy that I have because of the faith delivered to me by God. I have it in Christ, but I live cognizant, aware of my need for mercy every day. Keeps me from being self-righteous. It keeps me from being judgmental. Keeps me from being a jerk. You know, some of you may not understand all those other ones, but you understand this one. Being just being a jerk, like I can often be. I exist and have hope because of God's mercy. And then he does an amazing thing. He says, okay, this is how you keep yourself in the love of God. All right, but what about those with whom I'm contending? Those that are proposing these things that are wrong. How do I contend with them? And it's, it's surprising. It's amazing. Look at it. How do you do that? Verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. So that, that word mercy, which is um, repeated twice, in verses 22 and 
tie us into the word mercy that is used at the end of 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I contend for the faith? I I keep myself in the love of God, understanding that it's God who keeps me, but I have a responsibility to keep myself. How do I keep myself? Well, number one, I build myself up in my most holy faith. I, I think about it more than just on Sunday morning. I pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm real with God. I'm praying the word of God. I'm praying with others. I'm waiting for the mercy of Christ. And then immediately it steps right into it. And I have mercy on those who doubt. So what are they doubting? Verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. They're doubting the faith. Why? Because false teachers have crept into the church and said, listen, Christianity, yeah, it's sort of that, but it could be this too. So, so, There was people teaching wrong things, and it caused other people to start doubting. So when we contend for the faith, it's not just some intellectual courtroom argument. It's not less than objective truth, but it's people. It's people who are doubting. So I have a heart for those people. And I'm going to address them depending on their level of doubt. Actually, I believe there's three levels of doubting that are listed here in our text. I I think that the first level of doubting is where Jude is addressing those who were wavering under the influence of the false teachers. I believe that's verse 22. They're they're, they're wavering. They're they're hearing it. They're in this local church. Maybe it's in modern-day Ephesus. Maybe it's in modern-day Syria. That's that's probably the area where the church was, modern-day Turkey modern-day Syria, maybe even the Jerusalem area. We don't know. Maybe one of the islands, the Greek islands, maybe Malta. I don't know. But we, I was just in all those places. And there was lots of ruins and lots of places of that was a church, that was a church, that was a... I don't know. It doesn't matter. They were wavering. People were coming in and were saying things to them that they were wondering, what, do I really believe that? Um, how, should I, how should I deal with that? So the first level is just they're starting to waver. And what happens with people like that? And then they talk to you and they say things you're thinking like, well, that's dumb. You, you're going to believe that? Wait a second. And the temptation either to be harsh with them or the temptation to be to reject them or ignore them. And what, and what God is saying is don't do that. Have mercy on them and don't lose patience with them. Don't just move on from them, but engage them. In fact, Paul says something similar because he was dealing with that church in that area as well. Listen to how what he tells us to do with those who are wavering, who are doubting. First, Second Timothy two twenty four to twenty six, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. So there's definitely you need to do that with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Jude would say that we could snatch them out of the fire. Paul says, escape the snare of the devil. Jude says, snatch them out of the fire. We're to be firefighters. Be firefighters. We, we, we run in. Right? Verse 23, save others. So the light doubting that can be irritating, it's like you want to you smell like slap them, like, stop talking that. The next level is those that are right there. I mean, the fire is raging around them. They're really starting to buy into some of this stuff. 
Snatch them. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What does that mean? Well, we, we understand that the fire, the fires of hell. This is serious business. We're to run in and to snatch them out. How are we to do it? We're to do it as, as Second Timothy would talk to us doing it. But we're to do it to be courageous. We're to speak the truth. It may cost us our jobs. It may cost us our, our, our family members. It, listen, a firefighter, when he's running in to save people, is probably going to get burned at some point. A little smoke inhalation. The building may collapse. on A part of the building collapse. He may get hurt. She may get hurt. It, it, it's dangerous work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And then the final group, the, the, the most grave group, is at the end of verse 23. To others, so you, you see that. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23, save others. That seems to be talking about a second level that are really close. And then it says, to others, show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. These, my friends, quite possibly would be those who have fallen. They've bought it all. They're living a licentious life. They're living a, a, a life. They're corrupting what the Bible says about truth. But even those, we extend mercy. But we do so in fear. I, I don't necessarily believe that's the fear of God. I believe it's the fear of the very thing that has contaminated them. Th- this is going to get the person that, that's smack in the middle. almost did it again, smack dab. Right in the middle of a serious sin. This is the kind of stuff that I heard. There's there's a a ministry of former uh, 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 exotic dancers and even prostitutes, women that will go into those worlds to try to rescue other women because oftentimes they're being abused and sex trafficking is going on. But they have to be careful because they came out of that. This is is identifying with people and going even to where they are and, and trying to snatch them out, but being careful that I'm not contaminated with that. We're human. We're only human. In fact, in fact, that garment stained, you see that? Even the garment stained by the flesh. I don't mean to be graphic here, but that stained by the flesh, is, imagine a garment with excrement on it. That's kind of the idea. Sin is, is seen that way in the Old Testament. Zechariah kind of talks about this garment stained. It's not only a stain, but it stinks. In fact, Zechariah is a beautiful picture of God's redemption because God gives him a new garment, a garment of righteousness, not mine, but Christ's. So instead of an excrement-stained, filthy, stinking garment you're walking around with, God gives you a beautiful, clean one. So it's worth it. But be careful that you're not sucked into that again. That's what I think he's saying. We should show mercy. We should sow mercy, but, it, but retain the intense hatred of the sin and corruption and offense against God. We are to do so looking to our own lives, lest we too would come under the influence of that sin. What's the appeal here? Here's, here's my prayer for you. Is that we contend by standing in the love of God. The God who keeps us is the God who calls us to keep ourselves in his love. How do we do that? We do that by building ourselves up in our most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by waiting for the mercy, and then exhibiting that mercy with, with, with courageous confrontation of, of wrong doctrine and even evil, but with, but with a heart of mercy, as we read in 2 Timothy 2. Which one's hardest for you? You. 
Is it hardest for you to build yourself up on the foundation of Christ? Can you kind of drift away from that? Is it harder for you to pray in the Holy Spirit? Is it harder for you to wait on and trust the mercy of Christ? Is it harder for you to be merciful? Listen, mercy, there's two, both of them wrong, but they're opposite extremes. Either yelling and screaming and confronting with the red face and the, the, the veins popping out of your neck, or thinking mercy is, I'm just not going to confront them at all. Live and let live. That's not mercy. That is not mercy. Nor is it mercy to, to condemn. Mercy is courageously standing and saying, brother, sister, this is wrong. M- mercy is, is, is going to a former brother's house, which I did many years ago, who was part of this church, who informed me that he was living a lifestyle, if you know what I mean, that would not be biblical. And then said to me, and a Christian can do that, and it's no problem. And just as if you were to tell me, I'm going to commit fornication, I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things, and, and do it brazenly and promote it and say I'm a Christian, I would say, well, sir, that's not what my Bible says. The grace of God came to set you free. And he left. Mercy was going to his house and knocking on the door and, and, and appealing. And let me tell you, when you do that, when you give yourself to stay those in the edge of the fire, you're going to get burned. When you go to save the hurting, they're going to hurt you. That's our call. We're called to suffer. We've just been studying that in Peter. So mercy, courageous mercy. Is that, are you saying, oh, Al, that's, I don't know, help me. Well, let me just put before you the picture again of Maya Dorado. She suffered a lot, agonizomai. There were mornings I'm sure she got up and the fog was there in the Bay Area and the water was about 50-some degrees and, and she's going, no, I really want to do this. But she thought about the gold medal. And this is where we think about the glory of God. May the beauty and majesty and grace and mercy of God give you what is needed to contend for the faith. Let us bow our heads in prayer. and Worship team, would you please come up? Lord God, when we face these calls by you, and Jude is, is, is a strong book, it's a little book, but it's strong. And you call us to courageous mercy. Not the world's misunderstanding of mercy. Not some milk toast mercy. But a, a strong, courageous mercy. But gentle You were the most gentle man on earth. Moses was said to be the meekest man. You were the meekest. You were strong. There are times when we need to speak very, very strongly. There are times when we need to help those who are weak. There are times where we need to speak strongly. But Lord, show us how to do it in mercy. Be mindful of your mercy. Lord, those right now that are wrestling, even with believing that you've been merciful to them, that they are beloved Oh, Lord, help them. Those who are, who are looking at this world and saying, it's just too hard. The armies lined up against me are too much. The picture of, of that guy, that young football player who had to just stand there and take the hit, we, we, we flinch time after time after time. We keep our mouths shut. Lord, thank you for your mercy toward us. You don't condemn us. 
but you call us to change. Lord, I pray that we would see that showing kindness to our opponent, even our enemy, as Jesus told us to love our enemies, does not mean compromise. We can show courageous kindness and stand for the truth. And as we do that, you would fill us with your power and your grace. Fill our mouths with your truth. May we know the truth, Lord. May we know the faith that we're to contend for. May we contend for it, knowing that it is the God of angel armies, the God of all creation, who is with us, sending us, keeps us, and strengthening us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and sing, Whom Shall I Fear?